All right, so I want to introduce you to a, a friend of mine and a man that I just respect his life and his walk with Jesus. Um, so this is this is Andy Norris. He is the the pastor at Cottage Grove Church in Des Moines, which is a church in our network that God's hand is all over and it's just blowing up right now. Um, and one of the things that I love about their church is they have a heart to reach their neighborhood and to reach people from any background in that neighborhood. And I think they're setting the pace for us in that. And so I'm excited for you to hear from Andy. If you're a college student, uh, Andy is actually going to be our retreat speaker at the Salt Company retreat this year. So you're going to get to know him a little bit. But yeah, I'm excited to have Andy with us. Give him a hand, guys. Clap for him. Yeah. Thanks, guys. This is a, a privilege for me to be here. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, my wonderful wife, Emily, is back down in Des Moines. She's a kindergarten teacher who I love a lot. Maybe some of you guys will be able to meet her one day. Some of you do know her, and she is quite marvelous. Um, we have uh, three boys. Um, we're kind of all over the place. We got uh, uh, our infant son, Lincoln, is turning one in just a couple of weeks. He's the best. Uh, he's a mess right now, too. So, But, uh, but he's amazing. Um, and then we have a, a foster son as well who's 12, uh, who is one of the funniest dudes uh, you would ever meet. And then our oldest son, uh, his name is Rodney. Uh, he's a senior in high school, and we actually adopted him uh, a couple of years ago. So we're like, yeah, doing the high school, junior high, and infant thing. So my wife and I, uh, our marriage has been tested, yes. And, uh, but we love our life, uh, feel just extremely blessed. Um, uh, God's been super good to us. And uh, yeah, I, 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 I pastor Cottage Grove down in Des Moines. We're um, two years old, uh, just a year older than you guys. So um, yeah, God has just been incredibly faithful to us. Um, uh, I, I, I lead Cottage Grove with a dear friend and brother, Recab Gray. Um, and uh, Recab moved his whole family from uh, Philadelphia to come and be a part and be the teaching pastor at Cottage Grove. Um, it's been an awesome just ride for us. But uh, also what he did is that uh, uh, he brought um, his really good friend and his wife uh, with him, Ike and Ari Todd. Uh, so I grew up in North Philly, uh, and I drug him here with me uh, because one, that way I wouldn't be super lonely driving, you know, I-35 guys, uh, quite depressing. Uh, there's like the no man's land in between Iowa and Minnesota where you don't know, like, where are we right now? Scott, yeah, you get it. So, uh, so it's, but yeah, got just time with him, but also Ike's from Philly, and he's in Des Moines. And guys, let, let me tell you this. You guys live in a real city, we don't, okay? So, and, and, and Ike, I knew it would be a blessing to his soul for him to see not just like one skyscraper, the principal tower, that's like kind of like a large house, uh, but actually like see like, oh man, there's like a for real skyline. So you guys are blessing Ike's soul uh, with just having a for real city. So thank you guys uh, for being the real deal. Um, uh, Ike also too just lets me know when I'm not um, you know, either saying something stupid because he's quiet, or if I do something that, say something that's gospel-centered, he lets me know. So I also just bring him here uh, in, in spaces like this because he'll, he'll talk back to me, which is really good. Um, so, but I, I do want to say this. I'm just extremely honored to be here. I, uh, Jeff Dodge, who many of you know, um, uh, told me about uh, just everything that's been going on. I think I was wanting to give Drew and Melissa a bit of a break. Um, and so I, I jumped to the chance. I, I have an affinity for you guys, a love for you guys, a love for this city, um, and a love for Jordan and for Drew and for Isaac and the whole gang. And so, um, uh, yeah, it was also sweet because I've been able to kind of keep up with what's going on in the sermon series. So I was actually listening through the prayer series while I was at the YMCA. Uh, yes, I, I do go there. Uh, and so I was at the Y, and, and I'm listening to Isaac, okay? And I, I'm, so I'm lifting weights 
and I'm, I'm kind of getting pumped. He's like really in the text and really getting after it. So I'm like, man, that is good. Or like saying stuff out loud. Um, yeah, I think I gave like a woo, you know, like, like I was pumped with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and I know people are looking and like, that man's not lifting many weights. So he's not excited about what he's lifting. There must be something else going on. But then it got super bad when I went and I'm listening to Jordan now. And I'm now in the locker room and I give another woo. So there's another environment where they're like, he better not be saying woo because he's in the locker room right now or something like that. So, so there's times to celebrate what the Lord is doing. Ike, you know, celebrates at the appropriate time. I clearly don't. So, um, but I, I will say this, all that Drew and Melissa and the whole Stevenson family has been through, um, guys, we've been praying, we've been grieving, and we've also been in a crazy, only Christians can do this way, celebrating the life of Jude um, from afar. I'm just letting you know that our entire network of churches, Salt City, is leaning in to what the Lord is doing in this place. When he takes his servant, like Drew, who's leading this whole thing, and has him go through something like that that none of us would ever, ever, ever in a million years want to have happen to us, Jesus is so near in those moments. So he's near individually with Drew and Melissa, like so near. They are so close to Jesus, it's obvious. Every time I talk to Drew, I just want to shut up and listen because he is so close to Jesus right now. But I'm saying this too, corporately, Jesus is very close to you guys right now. So when Jordan's talking about you guys becoming a family on a mission, that is not some fake thing. You guys have been drawn together intentionally through something that we never would understand in a million years why God would do this, but he did, and he has united you guys in the midst of suffering. He's united you to become a family. So we love you guys. We're leaning in. I'm watching to see what the Lord is doing because he doesn't put a church through something like this unless there's some massive sanctification that's going to occur with you guys. So just be looking out for the holy, just hand of God to do mighty things through Salt City, because that's what we're watching to see. Just, I'm excited to see what the Lord is going to do. So, um, I'm going to have you guys turn to Matthew 6, uh, and where I'm the final dude uh, in this whole series that uh, you guys have been going through, as well as, uh, apparently I'm shutting down the graduate, found that out right when I showed up. So, um, yep, uh, I guess I'm going to be that guy. Um, But, uh, so this is what we do at Cottage Grove. I'm going to invite you to do the same thing. Maybe a little bit weird, but uh, this prayer, if you've noticed, uh, there's no first-person singular verbiage in this uh, prayer at all. It's all corporate, every single one. Our Father who aren't in heaven, right? How would be your name? That kingdom come. That will be done on earth as it, right? It's all corporate. So what I'm inviting us to do—it's actually something we do at Cottage Grove—is I want you to stand up with me, and we're going to read this prayer out loud, corporately together. Okay, in unison, uh, and uh, we'll just read the prayer as well as 14 through 15 because I got that one, which is kind of the weirdest section in this whole thing. So thanks, guys. But um, so so we'll start in verse nine. Okay, uh, we'll just start immediately with the prayer of our Father. I'm reading from the ESV. I think a lot of you guys are doing that too. We'll just read like loud and proud. Don't be embarrassed if you fumble through words. I probably will. So you're going to be all good. But let's do this out loud together from uh, uh, verse nine all the way to the end of 15. Loud and proud on the count of three. One, two, three. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, 
your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. God, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, that uh, this church, um, Lord, would just be a church known for prayer. Uh, this sermon series has been so intentional right before this kickoff. I know that it has. Your sovereign hand's been in it. Um, so would this church not be the same as a result of this series being done? Would you make them a people of prayer? Um, and uh, Jesus, would you just be glorified in this place this morning? Pray these things in your name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Um, so uh, the main idea for you all this morning uh, is this, and I'm, I'm, my task is to talk through 14 and 15. You can't talk about 14 and 15 without talking about the rest of the prayer, but here's the primary main idea for this morning, and it's this, forgiven people are forgiving people. Forgiven people are forgiving people. That's the main idea, okay? Um, so Jesus is elaborating on the section in the prayer, right? Forgive us our debts as we also forgiven our debtors. Okay, so it's like an elaboration on it. It's his little uh, parenthetical thoughts elaborating on what is going on with this. So, um, so this section of the prayer is the only section that gets a sidebar from Jesus, okay? Out of all of the rest of the prayer, this is the one that he likes to camp out on. He's camping on. So therefore, it has to be significant. If Jesus is only talking about this specific section, it must be incredibly significant. He gives this conditional explanation. If you forgive, then God will forgive you. If you don't forgive, neither will God forgive you, okay? So I'm just gonna say this from off the bat. Jesus is not describing the process of forgiveness with this statement, okay? This is no like conditional like type thing. We know the only condition is this. You place your faith in Jesus and you're saved, okay? That's how you're forgiven. So he's not talking about the process of forgiveness within this statement. No, he's actually describing the practice of forgiveness, okay? He's describing the practice of those who have been forgiven, if you are mine, you forgive, okay? That's what he's talking about here in this specific text. So the elaboration of forgive us as we forgive is gonna reveal some truths about us and some truths about God, all right? So here's my overall. I got two points for us this morning. The first one out of talking about forgiven people or forgiving people is this. We're gonna talk about the prayer to forgive others and what that does, the prayer to forgive others, and then the power to forgive others, where all that comes from. Okay, so the prayer and the power, all right? So let's start with the prayer. Um, so praying that prayer, Father, forgive us as we forgive our debtors, okay, actually reveals some interesting things. It's gonna reveal three specific things. The first one is this. When you pray that prayer, it's going to reveal the gospel of Jesus Christ to you. Okay, here's what I mean. So we owe this thing, this, your heavenly Father will forgive your trespasses. We owe a great debt, but our debt has been forgiven. Okay, so my son Rodney is, uh, yeah, he's, he's driving, and uh, it is so terrifying, okay, when someone who has not driven all of a sudden drives, and you literally place your life in the hands of a teenager, okay, uh, driving your vehicle that is, it's, 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 it is absolutely petrifying. It's not driver's ed. I don't have that emergency brake. I can't like turn it over. Literally saying, go for it, dude. You're going to drive. So we had him drive home uh, from one of our trips. Uh, my, my family and I taking a vacation. Rodney's driving. And we almost met Jesus three times on I-35 coming down. Uh, swerving off the highway once. Like cutting off a semi twice. For blowing a stop sign. I mean, it was like my wife is like in the back the whole time just going like this, texting people, pray for us. We don't want to go see Jesus yet. Like all of that is, it was absolutely insane. But 
So with Rodney, though, here's what's true. So the worst thing that would happen to Rod is if he would, if he would accidentally crash our car, right? It would be terrible. It would, it, would, it would be super scary. Some of you have had that experience before. We do, we do not want that to happen. But if Rodney crashes our car, here's what occurs, okay? So his insurance that we pay for will radically go up. The most expensive person to assure, insure is a young male, okay, who just is getting his driver's license. Um, but if he gets an accident, it now like almost doubles his insurance that we pay for, okay? Now, if he gets in a car wreck, we also now are responsible for paying for the car that he hit if he hit a car, okay? We're responsible to take care of that, and we're also responsible for fixing our own car that he has wrecked in the mistake that he has made, Okay? So for Rodney, all of that, he will be 55 years old by the time he pays us back with all of those expenses, okay? It would take him forever to actually do that. So as parents, we love him. We're going to say, Rod, dude, you're okay. We forgive you. We're not going to make you pay that stuff. It's going to be fine. You're going to be okay. We're not going to kick you out of our house. Like, everything's going to be okay. But that forgiveness is not free, is it? Because even though I say to Rodney, hey, I forgive you of your sin, of like you wrecking all this stuff, the insurance, all this stuff, I'm going to forgive that debt. The reality is someone still has to pay for the insurance. Someone still has to pay for that busted car. Someone still has to fix our car. Here's what I'm saying. Rod, I'm not making you pay for it. I'm paying for it. That, Salt City Church, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That every time we pray this prayer, Lord, forgive me as I forgive others, we're reminded once again of that insane reality that although we have an infinite debt that we have incurred upon ourselves due to our sin, it is impossible for us to pay it back. Instead of us making, instead of God making us pay for all of eternity, that debt that we owe to him, he instead forgives our debt. But this was not free to him. It was of infinite cost to him. For he gave up his son, who was of infinite worth to him, on our behalf, so that our debt could be completely forgiven. That's why 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, For our sake he made him to be, no, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God turns his wrath towards Christ, and then turns his mercy towards us. That's the good news of the gospel. And every time we pray this prayer, it's an opportunity to reflect on the wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What great forgiveness have we received because of Jesus? Do you know that truth, by the way? Is that true of you? Have you experienced that forgiveness? That's the first reality, is that when we pray that prayer, it reveals the gospel to us. But it also reveals this, the second thing that it'll do. It will reveal our authenticity in our faith. It will reveal the authenticity of our faith. It will be on display whether you forgive or don't forgive. How authentic your faith in Jesus is. How, how authentic is your understanding and your belief and your, your salvific experience of that great reality of the gospel that Jesus has forgiven you. If you've experienced the act of forgiveness extended to you through Jesus, you thereby extend this to others. You do the same thing that your father did to you. That's what you do. So my dad uh, has worked for a fishing company for almost 20 years now. Um, so fishing is like a massive part of my family, okay? So uh, that's why Minnesota, guys, holy cow. I can go to like a neighborhood like Pond and I'll catch like a northern as big as my child, okay? Uh, in Iowa, we catch little bluegills about that big and we're super pumped if we can get that too. So, uh, but authenticity of this is, is, is really, my, my dad 
all of my life has been taking me fishing, okay? He's, he's taking me fishing, all this stuff. He's, so now with it, I have sons, I take them fishing. My desire is to take them fishing and to show them what it looks like, how fun it is. And when you see me take my boys fishing now, okay, I, am, I have some weird tendencies about me. I'm a big believer in the nail clippers, okay? So I'm also a big believer in the jean shorts because they're the most effective, all right? Nothing's gonna like hook onto your jean shorts. Like you're not gonna accidentally snag something. You can wear your belt, you can put stuff on it. So I look, here's what I've inherited from my father, like a total dweeb when I go fishing, okay? Jean shorts, I get like the, the little necklace with the nail clippers connected to it so I can trim stuff. You know what I'm talking about. So uh, it's totally effective. I'm learning this from my father. My son, are looking at me and they're seeing what like embarrassing is my dad doing right now and the reality is I'm just doing what my dad taught me and you look like a dweeb and you fish because it's efficient you're going to get things done okay um, I am a ton like my father in fact it is a demonstration that I am my father's son sometimes when I even go fishing when I take my son's fishing it's because my dad took me fishing in the same way we show forgiveness to others because our Father has shown forgiveness to us. It's a demonstration that we are our Father's children. We're behaving like he behaves. It's a mark of being in the kingdom, which is where this prayer centers itself within the Sermon on the Mount that you guys have been talking about. It's talking about what it means to be in the kingdom of God. When you're in the kingdom of God, you forgive people. That's what happens. You're being like your king. You're being modeled, you're modeling after him. And if we understand how greatly we've been forgiven, we will greatly forgive. If we understand how much mercy that has been extended to us, we will extend mercy in a great, great way. That's why Paul says in Colossians 3, bearing with one another, if one has complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. We are forgiving people because we are a forgiven people. Salt City. Okay, so that's the authenticity of your faith that is seen, but also the opposite is true. The inauthenticity of your faith is on display when you are unwilling to forgive. So I want you to just keep your finger in Matthew 6. I want you to turn to Matthew 18, because Jesus tells a parable that talks exactly about this. So turn to Matthew 18 with me, just a few chapters beyond where you are. And... Uh, this is the parable of the unforgiven servant. I'm just going to give you a bit of a flyover, and I'll point out a few different verses to you. But um, So this parable that Jesus tells, the story that Jesus tells, is about a servant who owed an extraordinary debt to his master. Okay, When you're kind of studying like all the different references here, like he owed like this amount of money, uh, the reality, all of the kind of, it all pays out to this. Um, uh, this dude owed essentially about uh, uh, just tons and tons and tons of years worths of salaries, okay, to this master of his. So equivalent would be this. In the state of Iowa, uh, the average income is $50,000 a year. Found this out. Minnesota, it's 60. So feel good about yourself. Okay, cool. College students, way to go. You can't do a better state. I get it. That's fine. So uh, you make more money here. But okay, so average of $50,000 a year is the average salary in Iowa, okay? Um, so equivalent of what this man owes, okay, because it says that he, uh, he owed him 10,000 talents. Equivalent is this. He owes this master $10 billion, which with the amount that he was making at that time would have taken him 2,500 lifetimes to pay this man back. 
2,500 lifetimes to pay his master back. It was completely impossible for this servant to pay his master back in Matthew 18. So Jesus is letting us know. But the master forgives the servant of the debt and he sets him free. Okay? So then fast forward, what happens to this dude is he leaves and he immediately finds his coworker who owes him essentially five bucks. Okay? So look at verse 28. This is what it says. So seizing him, the servant began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And then the master found out of what the servant did and summoned him. Verse 33, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And you should not, uh, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I've had mercy on you? And in his anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he could pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So overall, Matthew 18, the point is this. There's no such thing as an unforgiving Christian. There's no such thing as an unforgiving Christian. You can't be in the kingdom of God and refuse to forgive. That's what he's saying. It's a litmus test to see how authentic you truly are. Do you actually know Jesus? Because if you're in the kingdom, what you're doing, refusing to forgive someone, is actually impossible. That's not what, it, it's impossible to have an unforgiving Christian. So I've really tried to get into biking over this past like year, okay? Uh, so, uh, bikers in the house, we got some. Uh, Minnesota's a super, yeah, Minneapolis, we got one, cool. Uh, so uh, biking, um, uh, I have some friends who are like super into biking and they really wanted me to join them. So, so I show up, um, I basically just had like a cotton t-shirt and some jogging shorts uh, and like uh, my, my bicycle was an actual like road bike but it, it didn't, it, all it had was like kind of the like strap-ons that I like kind of like almost like tie my, you know, feet to the, to the bike or whatever. Um, so he just kind of looks at me. He just goes, you're going to get blown up when we go biking. But it's okay. Go ahead. So, and I did. It was atrocious. Like, I couldn't do anything. It was terrible. So, like, over time, as I'm trying to bike, I'm realizing how important gear is for biking. Okay? So, I, I, I get the really weird, basically, wrestling suits that bikers wear. Okay? It's like the full onesie that you do so you don't get wedgies as you're biking. Right? So, like, they're actually amazing. So, so I, I get that. I feel really cool. Um, um, I, I get clip-ins now. So I like switch out my stupid trap-ons and I get, uh, I get like actual clip-ins. I feel super legit. I get like a for real water bottle, not like a dumb one, one that like is just a camelback so I don't have to worry about it. My helmet looks cooler. I get the sunglasses. I'm like working the park, guys. So I wake up in the morning. I finally feel like I got my gear. I'm ready to go. I go, I'm not making this. I open my garage door and my bike has been stolen. <laughs> so... That day before, I was working in my kitchen and had the garage door open, and at some point, Des Moines and I, I guess, were super, you know, hard. Uh, so, so they showed up, and someone stole my bike. So that's, yeah. So I, I literally am standing there. Like, you're like, you walk like this when you're in those stupid things. So I'm like walking outside. I'm in my onesie, and I open it up, and then, then I'm looking. And so, and my guys, like, pull up on their bikes. Ready to go, Norris? And I'm like, no, I don't have a bike. Like, I can't go biking with you. I haven't been biking since, guys. It's the worst. I have my gear. Can't go biking. So... But here's, okay, here's what you guys all need to know is this. No matter if I'm wearing all the right clothes, no matter if I have the right water bottle ready to go, no matter if I got my clip-ons and I'm super, like, suited up, I look like a biker. If I don't have a bike, I'm not a biker. If I don't have a bike, I'm not a biker. In the same way, we can be in this church service right now 
We can actually know some stuff about the Bible. We can attend Salt Company every Thursday. We can address and appear to be a believer in Jesus Christ, but we are not Christians unless we forgive. It's demonstration of who we are. It's like someone saying you're a biker, but you don't own a bike. Is a Christian who says, I can't forgive that person. It's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand here. Forgiving or unforgiving others is a litmus test for authentic faith. If God's spirit is dwelling within your soul, you can't help but forgive others because you comprehend the massiveness of how much you've been forgiven. How can you not? You have offended the holy God of the universe and he went through infinite costs to forgive you. How can you forgive someone who's made you a little bit upset? Not forgive someone who's just made you a little bit upset. If you can't or if you refuse, then perhaps the Holy Spirit that dwells within you when you place your faith in Christ is not actually dwelling within us. Which means that perhaps we do not have and have not have authentically placed our faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is trying to understand the weight of all of this. This is crucial for all of us to get. Christians forgive. That's the second thing that it reveals. It reveals our authentic faith. But then thirdly, it reveals this, our struggle. It reveals our struggle. Every time we pray this prayer, Lord, forgive me as I forgive others, our struggle to forgive is now highlighted. Okay, so he doesn't put a time limit on this, notice, okay? There's a difference between refusing to forgive and struggling to forgive. It's a big difference. And that's what I want to talk about here for a second is the struggle to forgive for where this, this prayer begins to ask this question, where am I harboring resentment, anger, and bitterness like Isaac talked about a few weeks ago in my own heart and I'm unwilling to forgive this person or I'm struggling to forgive this person who has sinned against me that I'm struggling to forgive? Who has sinned against you, Salt City, where you're struggling to forgive that person? There's a struggle right now in your own soul. But there's actually a deeper and more painful struggle that could be even going on in this room. And it's when someone sins against us so severely that it causes deep suffering in our lives. For example, some of you have been abused by your own parents growing up, sinned against that has led to suffering. Some of you have been betrayed by a spouse or a loved one, and you've been sinned against and you're now experiencing suffering as a result of that. Some of you have had injustice done to you in every way, shape, and form, sinned against you, and now you're existing in a state of suffering as a result of someone sinning against you. I can't help think about, on a corporate level, on a bigger level, the oppression caused to the African-American church in this country as a result of them being sinned against. For it was Christians, actually, this is what's so hard for us to understand, it was Christians who were some of the people who upheld the institution of slavery in the United States, of blacks who were stolen and taken from their homeland. It was Christians, unfortunately, that were some of the ones who were fighting for the Jim Crow laws. It was Christians, unfortunately, that pushed for segregation in schools and in churches. And it was Christians, it is Christians even today, unfortunately, that often are the ones ignoring and explaining away and justifying the injustices that are happening to minorities in this country today. Christians are. 
for the black church in the United States, one of their greatest oppressors, the ones who have sinned against them the most, has been white Christians. For many of you, on now the individual level again, you find yourself in a similar boat. How can I forgive the person who sinned against me that greatly? Because at the end of the day, here's what's going on. This is the problem with forgiveness. Forgiving others means that they get away with their crimes, doesn't it? They get away with it. Injustice prevails. So what do we do with this? For me, I'm harboring bitterness and resentment in my own heart towards a friend in my own life right now. Ike and I were talking about it all the way up. It's been one of the the things I can't get out of my head from reading this text is that I'm someone right now who is struggling to forgive. My friend hurt me a while ago, but this is what I know is that if I let this go, I feel like a sense of justice and truth will be lost on my friend. He will get away with something he should not get away with if I forgive him. If I hold on to my anger and my resentment towards him, this is in my head, and some of you are here with me, right? Like, we believe that perhaps their misstep will, like, they'll they'll become aware of it somehow. If we continue to hold on to this anger and frustration, they'll become aware of their misstep, and they'll change, and then justice will happen. They'll feel remorse for their sin. They'll feel bad about it. They'll finally get it, and we're going to hold on to our anger and our resentment and our bitterness until they get it, Right? But here's the most frustrating part for me about this text, is that Jesus never says this to us, Salt City. Once the person has been fully acknowledgement of their sin against you, okay? Once a person is fully able to acknowledge their sin that they've done to you, then you forgive them, right? Jesus never says that. He never says, okay, so when they finally get it and they come to you and they say, oh my gosh, this is what I've done. This has been the worst thing I've ever done to you. This is terrible. Will you please forgive me? And he's saying, then you need to forgive them. He doesn't give that at all, does he? He says, no, you just forgive, even if they don't acknowledge that they've sinned against you. And that has been very frustrating to me. Because what Jesus is telling me to do is don't do what you think is right, Andy. Do what I have done for you. Because of this. You see, if Jesus waited for me to have a deep and realistic understanding of the heinousness of my sin against him, I would still be doomed. I'm spending the rest of my life discovering how heinous my sin is against a holy God. That's the Christian life, is a constant understanding of our sin and a constant realization of God's holiness. So if God would forgive us once we acknowledge the depth of understanding of how much we've sinned against him, we would all be doomed, Salt City. But he doesn't do that, does he? No, that's not what our Jesus Christ does. In fact, while I was dead in my sin, Christ died for me. So here, Salt City Church, is where the power now The second point, to forgive truly lies. And it is this, the power to forgive truly lies in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the model of forgiveness for us. Even while he was being unjustly murdered on the cross, totally in a state of eternal suffering and agony as a result of the sin against him, of these people sinning against him, Jesus does this. He's up on the cross bleeding to death and he looks at all of the people who are hating him and he says, forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they do. So if you're in a situation of suffering due to someone's sin, don't you know that Jesus understands it better than even you do? 
that gives us encouragement and comfort that our Savior empathizes with the suffering that we experience by the hands of sin of another. Jesus is the model of that forgiveness. Jesus is the mediator for our forgiveness. Justice, by the way, has been completely done on the cross. Jesus took the punishment for the crimes of humanity. He forgave a debt that was of infinite cost. Our freedom was bought with a price. He did not excuse our sin without a cost. It costs his son, which was of infinite worth. For we deserved infinite wrath. But because he paid the debt for us, we're granted forgiveness. He was that mediator for us. But then here's the wonderful kicker is that Jesus just didn't stay dead on that cross, did he? No, he went into the grave and then he beat death and he beat sin and he beat the devil and he rose out of the grave and then he sends his Holy Spirit into those who've clung to that forgiveness that he offers to dwell within us. We're now the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead takes up residence within your soul when you place your faith in him. And that causes you to do crazy things in this whole area of forgiveness. Christ is the one, by the power of the Spirit, who makes us forgiven people, forgiving people. It's actually his power that makes that happen. It's his power that made you forgiven. It's also his power that gives you the ability to forgive. It's all about Jesus, if you're noticing this. So our freedom was bought with that price, and Jesus then frees us to forgive now. We're free from worrying of the injustice that might prevail, for justice has been dealt on the cross. And the ultimate justice will be distributed when he returns. It's in his jurisdiction now. We can trust that he's all on it, because he's demonstrated that he's all about it on the cross. He's, we're now free from the resentment and anger, no longer holding on the sin against others. Then we can do this weird thing. You see it in 1 Corinthians 13, where one of the things that Paul talks about in describing love is this, keeping no record of wrongs. So a crazy thing happens to those of us who have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us is that we genuinely and completely can let go of that record of sins that have been against us for us to truly forgive. That's crazy. But when you think about that power, it's helpful to look at insane examples of people who clearly have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. And I'm gonna, I, I wanna wrap us up with just this crazy picture, okay? So um, I, wanna, I want you to think back to what I mentioned about the black church. Because let me tell you this, and a lot of it has been just God gifting me to have minority relationships in my life, and I'm seeing and understanding the depth of forgiveness that the black church over centuries has continued to extend to their oppressors who are all around them. It's insane. And one of the most powerful examples of that was, many of you guys heard this story back in 2015 at Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, when Dylan Roof, a white supremacist, came in to a prayer meeting, which was an all-black church, and shot up the place, killing nine of the members during a prayer meeting because he hated black people. A sin that led to deep suffering within that church. But if you were following that news, many of you don't even know some of this story, but you can see it. Wall Street Journal even wrote a story about it because it made no sense to them, okay? This woman, Nadine Collier, who was the daughter of the 70-year-old Ethel Lance who was shot that day and died. This is what she said in a trial to Dylan Roof. She got the opportunity to talk to him 
okay? And this is what she said to the man, the young man, white supremacist, who out of hate sinned against her so much that she took one of the deepest, most important relationships of her entire life away from her. This is what she says, you took something very precious to me and I will never talk to her ever again. I will never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you. May God have mercy on your soul. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. But God will forgive you if you ask. And therefore, I will forgive you. That power is not this woman looking at herself in the mirror and saying, I'm going to just get, gather all the strength that I possibly can to forgive this young man. That is only the Holy Spirit of God that can do something like that in somebody. That's it. Those of you who have been sinned against or people that you know who have been sinned against that has led to suffering and yet still in the midst of all of it offers forgiveness, I just want you to know something. Those people are following so closely to Jesus, they're literally walking in his footsteps because that's exactly what he did, didn't he? So when you see people who have done those crazy things, get as close to them as you possibly can because they have a relationship with Jesus and a depth of understanding of the Holy Spirit that we need corporately within the church. Observe corporately and individually people who are doing that type of stuff because they are walking with Jesus and we need to get some of that on us and being around them. Only the Holy Spirit of God can do a work like that. We need his power within us to forgive. So here's what I want to conclude with is this. Forgiven people are forgiving people. In Salt City, where are you at this morning? Are you refusing to forgive? Jesus knows the authenticity of your faith. He knows it. Have you recognized the infinite debt you owe to an eternal God that's impossible to repay? Have you cried out in desperation for mercy and forgiveness? Have you grasped the incredible truth that Jesus paid your debt and set you free? Have you grasped a hold of that? That while at one time you were in infinite debt, but when you place your faith in Jesus, you will be of infinite worth. That's the gospel. Do you know that? Do you know that truth? Can you pray that prayer and are you reminded of a truth that happens to you? Of that time when you believed and you were saved, but also every day when you're constantly needing forgiveness from Jesus. But then also this question, are you struggling to forgive? Now that Jesus empowers you to forgive, do you believe that that is indeed true? Are you asking him to help you forgive or are you staring at yourself in the mirror trying to get yourself to forgive? Because Salt City, no ounce of effort can get you to do something that only the Holy Spirit of God can do in your heart. His Spirit empowers you to do this. And then when this happens, by the way, talk about a family on mission. When Minneapolis and St. Paul looks at a church that collectively has a group of people that do this insane thing where they trust that justice will be done by a God who's in control of all things and they can do insane stuff like forgive people who've done atrocious things to them, our world looks on in wonder and says, God must really be among these people. They truly believe something that I don't know. It's mission, guys, when we forgive like that. We are called to forgive others because God has forgiven us. What greater love is this that one would lay down his life for those he loves? 
And this is what our Lord has done for us. And it enables you to do the same Salt City, to lay down our lives for others so that we can forgive them. Let's pray together. Jesus, I need to just confess to you that I have stared myself, stared at myself in the mirror, trying to give some sort of strength to my own willpower and heart to forgive my friend who's been sinning against me. And God, would you forgive me for relying upon myself? But Jesus, would I tap into the Holy Spirit that dwells within me, that causes me to do insane things that I never could do on my own? God, would this church here, Salt City, in the midst of just becoming a family, not being a family on mission, would they do things in this place because of their just deep conviction of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of forgiveness, the debt that they owed that has now been forgiven at infinite cost because what Jesus has done for them radically changed the way in which this church looks, the way in which they relate to others who even oppress them. God, would they be forgiving people? We know, Jesus, that the only reason we can forgive is because you've forgiven us first. So Lord, if there's anyone in this room who has not experienced that, Conviction, Holy Spirit, would you work on their heart? Convict them today. Would they repent and believe and cry out to you, Jesus? And I believe in what you've done for me. I repent of my sin. I ask for you to forgive me and that your Holy Spirit would dwell within me. Oh, Lord, would that happen even today? And would that same truth be quick on the lips of Salt City to be a family on mission that radically transforms a place because there are people who are addicted to the forgiveness that they've experienced? God, would you do that in this place? Pray these things in your name. Amen.